The offseason is almost over, and Ohio State will open its year with a top five matchup for the first time ever. Let's talk about it in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, along with Johnny Genner, as always, and joining us fresh from the bullpen this week, Chase Brown, the newest member of the BEAT team at 11 Warriors. Chase, welcome not only to the Dubcast, your your, uh, first appearance as an official member of the Cognoscenti, but also welcome to the 11 Warriors family and team. Let's let's start off, let you get to um, introduce yourself a little bit to the the Dubcast universe. Tell us uh, where you come from and your first connection to Ohio State sports. Yeah, so um, grew up in Columbus, have been a lifelong Ohioan, uh, a lifelong member here of the central Ohio area. Um, Grew up in Worthington, Ohio, about 10, 15 minutes from campus. Um, As far as my first connection to Ohio State, I'm actually sort of a a Buckeye for life, if you'll um, ride with me in that saying. But my mom actually is the synchronized swimming coach at Ohio State. Fantastic. Um, So I've always been on campus. Also. Absolutely. Right. So I think that um, well, that's not usually something I'll, I'll talk about with most people. It's something that the whole 11 warriors universe will know right off the bat. Do you, um, have you ever been like involved in uh synchronized swimming yourself? Like, have, are you a synchronized swimmer? Well, here's the thing. So my mom is uh, a synchronized swimming coach. She's synchronized swam, or she was a synchronized swimmer yep. um, growing up. Um, I mean, she's been in the business. She's been in the sport for her entire life, but I have three older sisters and none of them swam, not nice. even competitive swimming of nice. flat pools or diving or anything like that. And then I didn't do any swimming. Um, so it was something where my mom didn't really push us into that space, um, which I'm both thankful for, but also sort of surprised uh, about because it seems like somebody with a championship pedigree like her would have wanted us to at least try it. But none of us ever did. Mm. Um, which is always very funny to think about, but yeah, we all got into our own individual sports, our own little niches here and there. And so, yeah, it was just fun. I've always kind of grown up around campus. Um, I decided to go to school there for college and that's where I pursued a degree in journalism and English, um, at Ohio state just recently graduated here in 2022. Um, and throughout that time, it's sort of been developing, um, a familiarity with the journalism career with the Lantern, Ohio State School newspaper, and then was also an employee of a full-time beat writer for Buckeye Sports Bulletin nice. before hopping over here to 11 Warriors. Well, thanks for making our degrees look so much better than uh, they were when we got them, because I know how difficult it is getting Ohio State now. I mean, that's that's like serious business. At the time, they were just like shooting them out of a cannon. Actually, you know what? I think that's a that's an Onion article. Where they where they have everybody go into Ohio Stadium, I I'll have to, we'll have to link that in the post. But there's an Onion article where they said they were giving out diplomas by shooting in one of those like uh, t-shirt cannons <laughs> and then just shooting at people <laughs> in the stands at Ohio Stadium. Oh. I was like, that's pretty good, and also the equivalent of the kind of work that I put in. in we we've had that conversation a lot of times. Uh, different classmates of mine, you know, could you get into Ohio State today? You know, yeah, the, hell those no. That yeah. got in, you know, I matriculated in the fall of, well more than 20 years ago and yeah we will often go around you know your test scores your gpa you know would you get in today basically because every year you put out this press release from the university right about the the incoming class and how it's the smartest uh you know highest test scores etc 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 class in the history of the university and 
Yeah, that's kind of a fun game to play. Would you get in? Would you not get in today? Yeah, uh, my, Chase... my my application to Ohio State was just like a hot dog bun. And then I put in <laughs> <laughs> and then inside the hot dog bun, I put in a bunch of pictures of myself giving the thumbs up and then like sprinkled it with, you know, well, coins and things like that. I, like, having, All right. Good luck. Godspeed. Having just rewatched the classic Reese Witherspoon film, Legally Blonde, you know, her application video to, to Harvard Law. I mean, there you go. You know, I'm not that good. I'm not Tracy. I, I'm, not, I'm not that good. <laughs> Chase, uh, growing up the, the way you did, I'm kind of fascinated by this because you have a very different connection to Ohio State athletics than <laughs> most people who will uh, ever go into a football stadium. But how how did growing up observing that you know kind of that intense um that intensity that has to go into being a championship caliber program of of the type that we're talking about with the synchronized swimming program like how how did that influence or or shade or color your perceptions of sports in general or or even ohio state sports more specifically that's a great question because I feel like my mom and I have a very similar approach to a lot of the things that we do. Um, and that was most accentuated in sports. Um, she's very anal analytically driven. She's very knowledgeable about um, many different things, especially synchronized swimming. And so that sort of mentality was something that I think I took from her honestly, at a very young age, um, in the way that I viewed sports, sports have always been something where I've been fascinated by them. Um, and I can even recall times of my parents telling me at, you know, about five, six, seven years old, I would pick up a copy of the Columbus dispatch and start reading the box scores for at the time, the Cleveland Indians games or the Cleveland Browns or the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, uh, looking at the Ohio State sports as well, and just wanting to know more about the game within the game. Uh, and so I've always sort of had that kind of a approach. Um, in some ways, it's the best thing in the world. In some things, it's the, the worst thing in the world, because I am I'm very much in love with the game. But then I also don't really have an affection for, or at least an outward affection for what's happening in the game. Um, I like to watch sports with a very, I guess, a stoic approach, a stoic uh, personality in a way where I'm not really jumping out of my seat, cheering, clapping my hands at all, but, um, Big just, how dare you, I, I, <laughs> but I just, I, I like to take everything in and I like to see sort of what's happening and what sort of, you know, strategy is going into the game and what sort of, um, approach a coach or a player might take in certain scenarios. And I, and I think that's also kind of what drew me to journalism a little bit is that you don't really need to have that exuberance toward the game, but you can still appreciate everything that's happening within it. Um, but yeah, I just think I grew up with this approach that it was going to be, um, you, you know, you needed to be high intelligence and, and have a high IQ toward the sports that you enjoy or the, the sports that you are participating in. Um, and that's kind of the way that I ran with it for a pretty long time. You okay? Having said that, I and I I agree with you. I understand what you're saying, and I I try to reach. I mean, I'm not very smart, but I do try to reach a zen-like approach to the game in general. Mm -hmm. In part because, you know, if I'm going to write about it, I've got to try to think about it at least a little bit rationally. And, and granted, you know, again, I'm dumb, but I try to like think about it in a way that isn't just what i saw and then my base reaction to it however however there are times when that is unavoidable and i want to ask you like 
having said what you just said, has there been a moment or times or moments when that went completely out the window and you just lost your mind, either out of anger or joy or spite or whatever? Absolutely. Um, there's just times where you have to. And, and I think that that's the beauty of sports. I, when it comes to, to sports, whether you're playing them or watching them, uh, as much of an analytical approach as I want to keep, there's just so much brilliance and so much to love about sports that I think you almost have to be emotional about it. Um, speaking of my mom, we, we really love the, the movie Moneyball. Oh, yeah. Um, and that line in the movie, you know, it's hard not to be romantic about baseball. And I think that that's sort of the way in almost if it's as much analytical as it is much romanticism um, for the game of just falling in love with it. And I just I can recall several times, especially with Ohio State sports growing up, Mm -hmm. although don't tell anybody now I'm not supposed to be a fan. Um, (laughs) But years ago when Ohio State would be playing like I think about the 2017 game, I believe it was Ohio State was playing Penn State. Um, in Ohio Stadium and JT Barrett leading Ohio State back in that second half. I think my ears were bleeding listening to Ohio <laughs> Stadium explode as JT Barrett led that comeback, as yeah. JT Barrett scored again and again and again. And, and there's moments like that where you just feel connected to the 100,000 other people that are sitting in the stadium. And there's nothing else that's quite like that. Like nobody gets that excited about any other you know, thing to do, any other hobby, any other thing of interest. And so I think that's what makes sports so amazing is that you can be connected to those many people or to that specific thing or whatever it is. It just is so beautiful that you can kind of have that connection with other people. And then that connection within, you know, the way that you approach watching the game as a fan. I want to, you know, think about this uh, in now the context of we're going to shift gears from getting to know you to putting you on the clock uh, as the newest member of the beat team at 11 warriors, it is officially kind of our season preview week. The next uh, couple weeks, we'll be previewing the season to come uh, leading up to that number two versus number five matchup between Ohio state and Notre Dame. First time Ohio state's had a top five matchup in opening week in school history, which kind of that in and of itself blew my mind a little bit, that little, that little factoid. Uh, but when you look at a game of that magnitude, as you're listening to coaches and the captains and other players that you've had a chance to, to listen to at the press events uh, here during fall camp, what's that kind of juice? How is that coming through the voices that you and the other members of the team are, are hearing uh, when you go to the Woody Hayes athletic center? Is it business as usual, or is there a little extra juice on this one with the stakes at play? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, It seems that the players and coaches are very much looking forward to this first game with everything that's riding behind it, but they're not going to let you know the full extent of how much they want to play this game Um, because they almost have to. It's Ohio state. It's, it's every game is important. And, you know, you heard Ryan day talk about it at the big 10 media days you know, uh, an 11 and two season with a Rose bowl win is good for most programs, but it's not good for Ohio state. And uh, the exception, the, the expectation, excuse me, for Ohio state is that they go undefeated, that they win the big 10 championship, that they make the college football playoff and that they win a national title. That's not, I mean, that's pretty much the ceiling at other programs, but that's kind of the floor 
in a lot of ways for Ohio State. It's one of the few programs where a national championship is within reach every season, and it's almost expected by the fans. And that's sort of the the way that the players and coaches are talking about it is the urgency that they need to win this football game. Uh, but there, there is sort of a little bit of more juice behind it. It's, it's not just one of the other 12 regular season games that they get to play. Um, it, it does have a lot behind it. And I think that Notre Dame, because of its tradition, because of how respected a program it is, they know that they need to take it a little bit more seriously. And they know that they need to have a little bit more prepared um, in each practice and a little bit more prepared week to week to make sure that they get a W in this game. I'm one of the things that I've really thought about is, is how, you know, you've seen this and, and how coaches and, and players kind of prep us. And by us, I mean, fans and the media for the upcoming season. Do you think that this is different this season? Do you think there's there's any tea leaves that we can read, I guess, in terms of how they're trying to present it? Or is this maybe a bit more honest than what we've been used to in general, just under Ryan Day, um, in terms of where they think the team's at? It seems like they have a good understanding of Notre Dame, but yeah. they don't necessarily have a good understanding of themselves yet. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not for the on-field product in terms of production, but a lot of what you've heard from the coaching staff and from some of the players has been the lack of leadership that was present last season, um, specifically when it came to those losses uh, against Oregon and against Michigan. Um, and then even as you heard in the first half of that Rose Bowl game against Utah, uh, it took a halftime speech, some sort of, you know, momentum building speech from players like Demario McCall and others to, to really rally up and like, bring the troops together to go win that football game. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just seems like maybe they're trying to figure that out still. Um, I think they made a couple of really good selections when it came to their captains. And it, it was really evident that they trust those players to lead the locker room. You know, all of them, except for CJ Stroud, who received the most votes, um, regardless, was an iron Buckeye. Um, so all of them had done the work in the off season to really prove that they belonged and prove that they should be up on top as, as uh, the people that other players will look toward, but that's just what kind of what it seems to me is that they're just looking for leaders. Um, and, and they're trying to figure out, you know, who can they trust that first game is not going to be something easy where they can send out the backups in the second half. Like you need to have everything together and everything in order to beat Notre Dame, uh, even though they're favored by so much, you know, you know you're not favored by that much. Um, you, because of the leadership qualities, you're favored because of the talent you have on the field, but that talent won't perform the way it's supposed to if there's not leadership. Right. The thing yeah. I think always just blows my mind that you sort of, I think as a, as a outsider, if you will, or as a fan watching on television or even in the stadium, it, it's kind of unfathomable to you that at that level with that much talent, that there's still that variable of leadership that how do you not when you talk about like having to get the Demario McCall speech to, to get them up, like how do you, how do you have to have that level of motivation when you're that good at the sport? You know, it's, it, it, I think it's really hard for the average person maybe to envision being in that situation. So to hear the players talk about it uh, and then how they feel they're maybe better prepared, I guess, from a leadership standpoint this year, uh, <laughs> I'd say if I was another big 10 program, I might be, I might be a little nervous hearing that yeah. they're more confident than they were last year. Cause it was a pretty good ball club last year. All things considered 
listening to Kevin Wilson uh, Monday talk about getting up on the wall, as he put it, talking about getting that national championship, uh, you could tell he's hungry. Do you sense that those leaders you talked about and the the players on the field share that same hunger? And and if it is national championship or bust, uh, are are they able to ride that kind of hunger through a grueling? regular season and and into the postseason i mean that's a that's a tall order with a huge margin for error right i think that we'll find out on september 3rd um if i can use that answer as a as a cop out it it just sort of seems like that's the benchmark for ohio state to figure out what kind of team they have um because after that notre dame game you get a couple of i guess what we would call cupcakes you know they're playing arkansas state they're playing toledo um, which are games that you're probably going to see a bunch of the backups and then you get into the Big Ten schedule. Um, but that game, while it's not going to break the season, it can really make the season in a lot of ways because you're going to find out which of those players are legit and which of those p- players prepared the way they were supposed to in the offseason. Um, and so I think that they all have national title aspirations um, and that they've been speaking as if that is the expectation um, but expectations can be expectations. You know, it's not all gonna, uh, you know, it doesn't matter until they show up on September 3rd and play against Notre Dame and that season kicks off. I think, I mean, am I crazy and not being at all worried about that game? I mean, and, and maybe I don't feel like I'm that crazy just because of all the injuries that Notre Dame has. I think they're going to wax them. I think they're, I think the biggest problem that they're going to have that they're going to have to kind of deal with and, and get their head in order is like, after they get past, as you mentioned, as they get past Notre Dame, it's, I don't know, keeping their head in the game, keeping focused to me feels like that's going to be the bigger difficulty for a team that's going to have some new players and leadership roles, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, am I, am I nuts in saying that? I don't think so. And I, I do think the, the biggest thing here, and I, I agree, I think that Ohio State will have no problem with Notre Dame once it shows up in that game. Um, it just will maybe be a matter of are they as good as people think they're going to be? You know, I, I think that they'll win. I think that they'll win maybe by a touchdown or two, maybe more. But what is that margin to where people start to see Ohio State almost immediately the first game of the season as a team that's good or a team that's great? Um, mm. Could they win so handedly that there is going to be no other option but for the AP and the coaches poll? to have Ohio state as number one the next week, or are they going to look at Ohio state's performance and still see Alabama as the, you know, the champion sitting on its pedestal, you know, all the way up there on its throne um, as the team to beat, you know, Ohio state could potentially prove itself as the team to beat immediately. Um, And then through the big 10 schedule, even more so. Um, And I think that's just kind of the, the reality of the game. You have a top five matchup. It's, you know, it's where all the eyes are going to be on that Saturday night. It's just how how much can they perform or how much can they almost outperform the expectations that people have set from them already? There's a quote I heard some years ago that I, I think applies. It's something to the effect of you can't win a championship in September, but you can lose one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this this game feels like that to me, you know, that I'm, of course you could go back to the Virginia tech game in 14 to kind of disprove this theory, but this is one of those kind of games that if Ohio state wins it. There's still that what you just described that, that well, Alabama is the team to be depending on how well Ohio state handles Notre Dame. On the other hand, 
you know, if they don't look great, right, then, or, or God forbid, they wouldn't win the game, which I'm with Johnny. I'm kind of expecting Ohio State to win it running away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a different narrative entirely to borrow a, an overused line that conspiracy theorists enjoy. I want to peel this onion apart a little bit and start talking about the different units on the field and have you give your insights and perspective, having been covering this team here through uh, fall camp. One thing that I heard Kevin Wilson say that kind of piqued my curiosity is, is how he feels about Ohio state short yardage run game. Was I alone in thinking, Oh, really? When he said that, because that was uh, an area where I kind of expected, particularly with a guy like mine Williamson on the, on the roster at running back that Ohio state should be, you know, not terrible in that space. Is that an indicator that uh, we shouldn't be expecting Ohio State's quarterback to punch it in anytime soon? Well, that comment did come as a surprise to me as well. Um, it seems like the offensive line has been praised pretty much so far in fall camp. Um, I, I think that most people have the understanding that maybe last year's four tackle offensive line experiment wasn't as effective as initially planned or as it might have looked on paper that was maybe suboptimal to some extent (laughs) (laughs) i think so i think so and and so when you insert donovan jackson and matthew jones on the interior you know having paris johnson jr at left tackle dewan jones at right tackle and luke whipler at center as your three returning starters um even though that's to say that matthew jones has starting experience and Donovan Jackson is, is no slouch. He came, comes in as one of the top rated prospects in his class. And it was surprising to hear Wilson have those comments today um, talking about maybe some of his concerns with those short yarded situations. Um, I don't know how much to really read into it though. You know, I, I do agree. You're talking about Mayan Williams as someone who, who has really proven that he can run downhill. Um, it seems that Ryan Day really made an emphasis last year for Travion Anderson to become more comfortable with those two, three yard rushes before he can break out and be the home run hitter that he he has always been here at Ohio state. Um, So I'm just kind of curious to see how that might play out in the first couple of weeks of the season. Maybe, you know, Kevin Wilson is interested in seeing more of a push from that offensive line up front. Maybe he's talking more about the running backs, not seeing the holes that are being created. So there's a lot of equations there are a lot of pieces to that equation that could be at play here. Um, and I'm not sure yet what he might be referring to. Uh, it could be the offensive line. It could be the running back. It could be maybe what you're saying about CJ Stroud needing to get a yard or two on a quarterback sneak. Um, would they have enough confidence and faith to do something like that? So I think just looking at those equations and, and looking at the, the pieces of them, um, I guess we'll find out here soon. I actually want to talk about confidence a little bit. And, and this is another question that I've been kind of, trying to think about over the past couple of weeks, just because, you know, when you're trying to talk about a team and you you're maybe you're just a casual viewer of, of football or whatever you're turning on, you're looking for certain guys who on the defense specifically, who do you have the most confidence in going into the season? And, and maybe, I mean, let's say you say Denzel Burke or whoever, but like, is there anybody, especially at a critical position, like maybe linebacker or something like that, where you're like, okay, this guy may not be, you know, an all American, but he's going to be solid and you don't have to worry about that specific position during the season. All indications through fall camp so far um, have that answer being Tommy Eichenberg. Okay. Um, it, it think it, it appears to me that the Ohio state defense and the coaching staff, those players, they think that Tommy Eichenberg has really become a leader 
of that unit since the Rose Bowl. That was sort of a, a rebirth of sorts for Tommy Eichenberg as a linebacker for the Buckeyes. I mean, at 17 tackle performance, he's finding a way to get his hat on the ball and finding his way into those, um, those scrums to get an extra half tackle or to get a solo tackle. So um, I'm, I want to, I want to interrupt you real quick because yeah. I've heard that as well. Right. Like, and, and, and what people have reported on what we've put out there on the site, Tommy Eichenberg seems like the dude. How do you explain that though? To a very skeptical fan who might go, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, he had a ton of tackles in the Rose Bowl and had a great game and all that, but also getting a lot of opportunities to, to get tackles because of how the defense as a whole was playing. Mm-hmm. What if they're what if they're like super skeptical about this guy right now? Well, I would I would say that he has become a leader of that defense in more ways than one. Um, because he was an iron buckeye. He's somebody that the coaching staff trusts, um, somebody that worked extremely hard in the offseason to improve his body, um, to improve his athleticism. But then also the way that the players around him are talking about his leadership from a vocal standpoint, the way that he's picked up on Jim Knowles's new scheme. And, and you know, Jim Knowles is is receiving a ton of praise from his players for being one of the smartest people in the room, wherever he goes. Um, and, and the kind of scheme that he's inserting for the Ohio state defense, it's taken some time for a lot of those players to pick up on it um, and to really receive it and to then apply it into their games. But from day one, it seems that all of the players on Ohio state's defense have pointed to Tommy Eichenberg as someone who studied it and picked it up immediately and is able to direct people in the spots they need to be not only at linebacker, um, you know, he's directing the defensive line, he's directing the defensive backs, and he's really taking control and become a captain of that defense um, in his, you know, his vocality, but then also in the ways that he's leading from a physical standpoint as well. Nice. You talked about Jim Knowles and, and his scheme. I thought it was interesting. He described uh, his defense this way. He said, I don't want fans to know what defense we're in before the snap. That'd be a good way to describe it. We want to be simple, but multiple. It, in a way, it reminded me, and, and I've used this analogy before, I used to talk about uh, Dick LeBeau as a defensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, and that it would take guys a while to get acclimated to his system because it was so, it, it was such an intensive system. You had to know so much, like the the knowledge of the playbook had to be so in-depth. And, and in hearing people talk about the Jim Knowles system, I've wondered how much time does it really take these guys to get acclimated and hearing you describe that? Do you have any concerns that guys are going to be out there September 3rd and you're going to get uh, to wondering, are they lost or confused because of the complexity of the system? In some ways, yes. But I think what, you know, overtakes that thought for me is almost Ryan Day's philosophy of his players not needing to act, but his players needing to react. Um, it, it basically a concept of his players in years past have acted in ways on the football field, specifically defensively, I'm talking, um, that they are supposed to be in a spot. So they go to that spot and it's very mechanical and it's very, you know, if a defensive back is supposed to be in zone coverage, they're only going to go in the zone that they're responsible for, and they won't react to what's happening on the offensive side of the ball. But what Jim Knowles is preaching and what Ryan day is echoing is that you need to react. It doesn't matter if you're supposed to be in this specific spot. You should be there, 
right? But if you see that they're, the offense is showing something different and you're the person that's called upon to make a play, then go make the play. And, and that's what Jim Knowles wants is to have eight, nine, ten players in the camera frame if you're watching on TV around the ball carrier or around the player that makes a reception because those people were able to recognize what the offense was doing and go and make the play where it's supposed to be made. And I think that's what impresses me the most is that these players aren't necessarily acting within that scheme entirely, but they're, but Knowles is prepping them with so much information and so much knowledge of the game that they're able to move out of it and react to what's happening on offense and make a play. So do you think, I mean, obviously that requires, I mean, we were talking about time. I can where that retire uh, requires uh, leadership and, and people who can kind of run everything. Do you think I've thought about this too. And, and, you know, we talk about uh, continuity with the off, like the staff in general and, and what the scheme looks like offensively, defensively. And it, to me, it's always felt like Ryan Day really values teachers, if that makes sense. And so you've got a guy like Jim Knowles who has this scheme, has a lot of information that he expects his players to absorb. To get a player to that point, I think, especially in a short period of time, requires some really high-level teaching. I mean, you, you've got to be able to convey those concepts really, really well. What, I mean, what is that approach? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you go from one system, one approach to something completely different? And, and how do you set up players to be successful when, when you're asking them to do something that requires them to, A, do something that they haven't, you know, been taught before, and B, you know, absorb a lot of information and try to execute that? Uh, to use the word and continuation with the alliteration, I would say one one voice. You know, you have one system, you have one um, set of players, but then you need one voice that really rallies them all together. Mm. And I think the way that Ryan Day has, has spoken about Jim Knowles has been that he's the head coach of the defense. Right. And, and I think that Ryan Day was almost a little bit frustrated last year that he had to care so much about the defense. Like Ryan Day, he is a, a fantastic head coach. He's everything that Ohio State needs him to be, but he really doesn't want to coach the defense all that much. He wants to game plan and scheme for the offense because that is what allowed him to step into this position at Ohio State. It was his genius creating an offensive scheme and, and finding the right talent to fit that, that offense. And so I think last year when those defensive problems came, and Kerry Combs kind of took a backseat role while they sort of collectively all coached the defense. It just kind of left them in a bad place where there were too many voices. There were too many people given their input as to what should be happening as to, you know, what sort of defense they should be running and what sort of plays they should be running against certain teams. But Jim Knowles comes in and he's one voice, you know, he has one idea, he has one mindset and that's sort of being adopted by the player's, overall, like across the entire roster, not just the defense, but also the offense. And that was one of the things that was so prevalent about today's press conferences with the tight ends was that they were very, very adamant that the defense has improved. And they were very, very uh, impressed with how much the defense has picked up under, under Knowles and, and what he's taught them and what he's left with them. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, all signs are pointing to that defense trending in the right direction. And a lot of that has come from one singular voice teaching the defense and, and leaving behind tons of knowledge for them to pick up on. And Kevin Wilson, coming back to that, really sung the praises of the defense. He talked about their presence quite a lot. 
Uh, and and <laughs> I love it. He said, it's a long way to go, but uh, I'm sure Coach Knowles will tell you that. But man, out there, it's a dadgum fist fight, which I loved. Mm-hmm. It was my favorite quote of camp. And in hearing Wilson talk about that presence and, and that it's a fight out there every day uh, with this defense, you know, is, is heartening. The question I, I suppose I have, you know, getting it down to the brass tacks is do they have enough bodies in the secondary to make this thing work? I, I'm not so much worried about the front end, but do they have enough horses in the back end to really carry this off? It, it's probably my biggest concern for Ohio state heading into this season. Um you know, first first opportunity we had to speak with Ryan Day during fall camp, uh, Dan Hope, um, a member of our team, asks Ryan Day, hey, you know, we're looking at the depth chart. We're looking at the roster. Um, I should say roster because we never get a depth chart. But, uh, you know, we have the roster here and it looks like Jake Seibert um, is listed as a cornerback. Is there anything to that? And, and Ryan Day answers and says, yeah, you know, he's he's still going to work on his kicking, but he's going to be helping us out in the secondary. And, you know, he played cornerback in high school and we think that he has some talent to still do it. Um, and everyone on the beats kind of looking around. And it's, it's a head scratcher. It's like, why do you need a person who you recruited to be a kicker to help out in your defensive backfield? And then you see um, Jair Brown um, loses his black stripe and you think, man, that's really cool. Like, congrats. Like, great job for him. But then you realize part of that is because Jordan Hancock has been down with an injury um, and Jair Brown has had more opportunities and he's taken advantage of them. But the only reason he had more looks was because Jordan Hancock has been injured. And so you start seeing there's a little bit more writing on the wall to some of these things that might be, you know, good in some sense. But you look at it and you kind of go a little bit closer. You zoom in with the camera lens a little bit. You realize that there might be some more problems here, especially with the depth in the secondary than we initially realized. I, you know, depth is definitely something that, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of talk about as they go through the season and and, and can Ohio State handle all that. Um, It's going to be an interesting, you know, just looking at the schedule and the way the big games are kind of spaced out, depth, attrition, all that kind of stuff is going to be an interesting thing. Do you think that Sands, CJ Stroud, this is a team – and again, I don't want to project CJ Stroud getting injured, but I'm just saying San CJ Stroud, is this still a team that can compete for like even, you know, a national title or is he like, he is the critical component that has to stay healthy. That is a fantastic question that I haven't thought about before this point. Um, you know, you'd like to think that Kyle McCord and Devin Brown give you the capability to win a national championship, mm-hmm. right? Because those guys, either of them, are going to be the quarterback next season. Right. You know, and you start to look at it and you think, man, like, could they elevate this team in the way that CJ Stroud elevates this team? And right right now, I'm not sure right now. I would probably say that without CJ Stroud, this team isn't going to win a national championship. Maybe they could get there, but CJ Stroud is a Heisman trophy finalist in his first season as a starter, right. In Mm -hmm. 2021, I don't think you would say the same thing about Kyle McCord. And I don't think you would say the same thing about Devin Brown, just right. from what we know right now. But I think that if you had either, either of those guys in as the quarterback right now, approaching the season, you would have that mentality that Ohio state um, should be the favorites to win the big 10 championship. Uh, could they make the playoff? Maybe um, if they do, 
they might win that first game, but I don't see them winning a national championship over a team like Alabama or even maybe a team like Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, those top five teams. Um, that all kind of just comes down to quarterback play at the end of the day. That's the big man on campus. He's the one that has to have the ball in his hands on every play for the offense. And I think CJ Stroud is the guy that, you know, everybody wants at quarterback and he's the guy that Ohio state needs if they want to win a championship. Yeah. And and the reason why I asked that question is because obviously with Ohio state's most recent national championship, you had a situation where, you know, a guy came in and really like a critical point because he had to, because of the injury to the starter Mm -hmm. and the rest of the team was able to kind of step up clearly their, their depth overall was such that they could they could wait till he kind of got up to speed. Now, yeah, they they lost an early game, but they kind of came together and, and the full talent of the team was such that, you know, they could lose that dude and then bring in a third guy and then it still ended up, you know, being successful for them. And then I think about Georgia last year where you've got one part of their team that is just so unbelievably dominant that you don't necessarily need excellence on the offensive side of the ball all the time. And you can still like have a team that talent wise, scheme wise, whatever you want to call it is capable of winning national championship. I, you know, I'm kind of with you. I think that CJ Stroud is a critical component of the team because I don't know that the rest of them, and maybe you'll be proven wrong, right. As they actually start to play, maybe their defense is all rolled and it's like a Jeff Halfley situation where they're best in the country, you know, just automatically. Um, But I don't know that the team as a whole is so good that they can weather him not being there. And I just, I I think that's interesting because I I would think that Ryan day, as much as he, you know, I'm sure loves CJ Stroud and and what he brings to the team would like the rest of the team to be able to sustain uh, that kind of loss if they had to. Right. Um, So it's just interesting to me. It's, It's because the talent on the team is, is enormous, but it just feels like it's not as cohesive as it might've been in 2014 in certain ways. Right. And you heard Ryan, Nate talk about that last year uh, at the start of fall camp before naming CJ Stroud, the starter. Um, He kept saying this again and again, he kept saying, we're going to need all of them. We're going to need all the quarterbacks. Um, If CJ Stroud, you know, even though I'm sure he knew at that point that Stroud was going to be the starter. um, He kind of kept an open mind that like, if Stroud doesn't perform to the level that maybe he thought he was capable of, then they were going to need McCord or they were going to need Jack Miller. Um, And I don't, you know, you don't hear him saying that this season because, you know, Stroud's the for sure guy and they're not expecting him to get injured. But I do wonder if he has that same mentality as, you know, if Stroud were to go down, does he have the same approach that we're going to need all of them, that you're going to need Kyle McCord, you're going to need Devin Brown and those guys have to be ready. Um, Yeah. But I still think that I would say that Stroud is the guy that wins you that championship. You know, McCord might be able to get you there. McCord might get you close. Same thing with Devin Brown, but I think that Stroud and the way that he performs on the field on a consistent basis is what makes this team a national title contender. Well, let's finish up this segment of the Dubcast with that. It's time to put you on the hot seat. Your predictions for the season uh, based on what you have seen and everything we have just talked about. What's Ohio State's record look like at the end of the regular season? Do they win the Big Chin Championship? Do they go to the playoffs? And if so, do they bring home all of the cheddar? I, I think yes to all those questions. Um, I think Ohio State has all the pieces on offense to contend for a national championship and to win it. The real question marks just come with that defense. Um, and even if that defense is at a respectable level, 
um, to the standards of what Ohio State's defense should be probably as a top 25 defense. That's kind of all I'm expecting right now from Ohio State defensively because I think that's really all that we should expect. Um, I know that Ryan Day has said top 10. I know that Jim Knowles has said top five. Um, but this defense, it has a lot of work to do if, if the Buckeyes want to win a national championship this season. And, and from what I'm hearing right now from these players and from this coaching staff, I have enough confidence to say that they will be respectable enough to, to allow the offense to flourish and to allow this team to win football games. I think they're really only roadblocks come against Notre Dame. Um, I think there could be some, maybe some challenges, some tests with Wisconsin and Michigan state and Penn state's a road game, but it's not a whiteout. So that's not really a trap there. Um, and then with, of course, with Michigan at the end of the season, but I don't expect that Ohio state will really have too much, of a challenge with those teams because they're able to score the ball at such a high rate. And I think that that will be the case all season that even if the defense has its challenges and has its, um, has its slip ups that the offense will be able to able to overcome with Stroud, with Trayvon Henderson, with Jackson Smith and Jigba and all those guys. I have been on the record all, all off season long as saying all this team needs is for its defense to suck 30% less than it did last year. <laughs> and it is a championship caliber team. So you were, you yeah. were giving me some confidence that this defense sucks 30% less than it did last year. And that's, I think that what, I think that's a great number. Um, and I think that's a great expectation uh, to set for this defense. Now I don't want, you know, Ohio state fans to, come into my mentions on Twitter and say, you know, you, you said this defense was going to be this. You said this defense was going to be great. Um, I think it can be. I don't know if it's going to be immediately. Um, I don't know if they're going to show you that it's going to be the number one defense, you know, a Georgia caliber level defense from last season uh, immediately in week one. But I do think that as the season goes on and you see these guys sort of get their feet wet with live game action in Jim Knowles' defense, that you'll be able to see the trajectory that this team is headed on fairly quickly. Um, and you'll get to see some magic happen with CJ Stroud at the quarterback, Trayvon Henderson developing into a second year player and Jackson Smith and Jigba being the player that we all saw last year now is the focal point of the offense. Well, and let's be real. The very first time that Notre Dame, God forbid, scores a touchdown, you know, the, the people will be out there in mass calling for firings and, or, you know, <laughs> uh, people to be burned in effigy on the oval or something like we, people, people get into their feelings during Ohio state football <laughs> games. So if the final score, isn't like a hundred to zero, someone, you know, will have to pay the price for that. But that's part of the reason I, I got my hackles up a little bit when coach is like, Oh, I wish you'd have said top five. Cause I'm like, no, you don't need to be top five to mm -hmm. win a championship with this offense. Like that's where, that's where I keep coming back to like, just, just suck a little less than you did last year and things are going to be fine. <laughs> That's right. We need Jim Knowles to come out guys. Just be slightly better. That's really, that's our I mean, goal. I mean, you don't have to have the 85 bears to win a title <laughs> with this offense. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. So uh, I'm glad we could all be more or less on the same page with that. Yeah.
Chase Brown, welcome to the 11 Warriors team. Welcome to the Dubcast. You will be filling in for one of the two of us uh, any day now. I predict it. <laughs> passed your first test. And and uh, I would say you have also given us uh, a good impetus that at some time in the not-so-distant future, we're going to have a certain synchronized swimming coach on the Dubcast. I, I just have now got that on my bucket list of people that I want to interview. So, you know, we may have to call in a favor at some point to, to help make that happen. She's always available. Um, part of my goal here at 11 Warriors, I think, is to give more of a platform to a lot of those Olympic sports. Yes. Um, I know, Andy, that you and I have shared many a times yes. uh, experiences covering wrestling at Ohio Absolutely. State. And that's one of my favorite sports to cover, um, mostly because Tom Ryan is one of the most interesting interviews of all time. Um, it's just amazing. And yeah, I think that, you know, you look at the reaction or I, I see the reaction that you both have toward um, synchronized swimming at Ohio State. And you guys understand its success, um, but I don't know if all of Ohio State's fans know the, the success of synchronized swimming. And then to say the success of wrestling, the success of men's and women's soccer, of men's and women's lacrosse. And I think that that's part of the goal I have here at 11 Warriors is to give a, a big platform to those sports because there are so many tremendous athletes that play for those programs and, and that are looking to, you know, be successful um, and to bring championships home in their respective uh, sports. So yeah, again, well, thank you, you for having me. Thank you, you for, you're, uh, you're at the right place because one of the things that has struck me in my long association first as a, a reader of the site is that the passion that the uh, ownership and management of this this fine organization have for getting those those non-revenue sports to borrow the the oft-used phrase uh, a little bit of the respect they deserve it's it's hard to cover 30 some varsity sports uh, anywhere near as well as as you and your colleagues cover football and basketball but um, to, to be able to expose the fan base to the really amazing things that are happening throughout the different programs in the department. I uh, absolutely am on board with that. And yeah, you and I share a passion for that. So, uh, glad to, glad to have another, uh, you're, we're, we're not alone in that on the, this team for sure, but glad to have another person who shares that passion. So thanks for joining us on the dubcast and we'll look forward to having you back again in the future. Yeah. Thank you guys. All right, friends, we are on the cusp of the season as, as we indicated. And you know, one of the great things about football season is going through your closet and pulling out some of your favorite vintage Ohio State threads. Well, if you don't have your favorite vintage Ohio State threads anymore, or, or maybe if you're like me and some of your favorite vintage Ohio State threads are a little snug around the middle and don't <laughs> fit quite the way you remember them. Have I got news for you? The Dubcast is sponsored by Homefield, premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that uh, not only produce incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel, licensed apparel, but they're adding a new school to their roster of schools starting this week. Homefield will be launching its Ohio State collection August the 20th, that is this week at noon Eastern. Uh, I had a chance to take a look at them and I'm going to tell you, I kind of geeked out a little bit at some of the vintage Ohio state t-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks. Uh, it felt straight up vintage stuff that I had back in the day that I wish was still in my closet. Yeah, man. That's, and that's the thing. Like sometimes it's hard to find some of those things where you're like, Oh God, I wish I still had a version of that or, you know, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
how could my have pit stains destroyed this incredible shirt? Well, now you have the opportunity to maybe get some of that back. So I, I think it's pretty great. And, and they're uh, awesome company, a lot of great brands in there, a lot of great uh, schools that you can peruse and Ohio State's going to be part of that. Yeah, I would absolutely encourage you August the 20th at noon Eastern, they'll be launching it. Uh, and new customers can get 15% off your first purchase from Homefield with the code 11 Warriors. 11 all spelled out 11 warriors at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Go check it out because uh, you're going to love some of these really vintage uh, threads, 17 pieces of apparel in the Ohio state collection dropping this week. Thanks to Homefield for sponsoring this edition of the Dubcast, the promo code 11 warriors at homefieldapparel.com. Off to ask us anything we go, Johnny, what do we find in the mailbag this week? Well, we want to remind you that you can ask us literally anything by sending us a question to dubcast at 11warriors.com. So let's start here with uh, Timbo, Timbo, Timbo. Uh, what is the best day trip within the state of Ohio? Bonus points if you include food recommendation, extra credit if they're kids slash family friendly. You know, the easy one probably and the one it's it, this is why it propped into mine first is is the Hocking Hills. Uh, yeah. And it's and it's because there's so much to do there. Just a variety of things. If you're into canoeing, you're into biking, you're into hiking, you're, you, you know, anything really outdoor. You want to go on down to, you know, Wayne National Forest. There's some ATV trails down there. You want to you want to get mm -hmm. off road a little bit um places to stay you know i know we we're talking about day trips but you go down there the, the number of different cabins and airbnbs and things if you want to make it a weekend kind of staycation kind of deal um and there's some great food down there if you go down that 33 corridor now i haven't eaten there yet but there's a uh oh gosh i'm trying to remember what the name is you can see it from from 33 it's i feel like something river barbecue uh big new place there's, like stone millstone millstone that's it that's it that's it that's yeah. the one I haven't eaten there yet, but the number of people in our social circle who have and who swear by it uh, leads me to believe that's a great, that'd be a great place to eat. So I'm, I'm big on Hocking Hills in general. We like to just go down there and, and go hiking some of the the cool places that you can go and, yeah. uh, and explore. Part of it is because that reminds me of home because I'm a Southern Ohio kid. So I spent sure. my weekends, uh, you know, just trudging around the woods at home on the farm and so a lot of that is, is terrain and so on that feels like home to me. So that's, that, that would be one of my favorites. What about you? No, I'm actually, I think I'm just going to go with what you said. And I have been to Millstone a couple of times and I think it's pretty legit. I don't, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say it's the best barbecue I've ever had, but you get a lot of stuff for your, your buck and it's, it's good. It's really good. So um, yeah, I would say a day trip, go down there, check out, you know, Ash cave, check out old man's cave uh and then on your way back hit up millstone i think that's a that's a heck of a day there's also some you know there's some mini golf on the way down there's you know just there's it's it's a good trip it's a really fun trip and i think and that's one of the most beautiful parts of ohio it's and, absolutely uh, stunning yeah it's great so i i think that's a that's a great answer and i probably you know i i suppose i just set aside the fact that you can go either north or south from columbus a couple hours and and go to a great roller coaster park uh in, in either cedar point or, or king's island you know those are those are kind of day trips that we did when i was we, we had season passes to king's island a few years not not every year but a few years we did and uh you know those are those are great i i would also say uh, this is not so much a day trip but i always like kelly's island um i had some i used, used to go up there uh and maybe rent you know like a room in a uh, bed and breakfast an actual bnb not just an airbnb and mm -hmm. you know drive around with a little golf cart uh, put bay is a little more uh, 
a little more you're going to like specifically get schlobber knockered but <laughs> kelly's island was more a little more laid back you know than that for me it's again not really a day trip that's a place you probably want to go up and stay for the weekend but yeah I like i like it up at the lake. i agree um so this next one here we've we've talked about this but I'm, I'm curious so this is from kevin who wants to know uh not that kevin but a kevin um what are some other podcasts that you listen to? And I, and let me ask you this. What are some, is there anything new? Is there anything that you've like started to listen to recently podcast wise? No, I, I haven't added anything new to my repertoire lately. My, my two favorite podcasts and, and I'm assuming this wasn't specific to sports or Ohio state or anything along those lines. Cause my two no, favorite no, podcasts are okay. Okay. Are not, uh, sports specific, but my absolute favorite is Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history. Uh, absolutely love that podcast. Now it's more of kind of an episodic, uh, he does, you know, six, eight, 10 episodes per season, um, that, so you're not just getting a new one every week of the year, unfortunately, but it's such a well-produced podcast that I, I get why he's not dropping one every single week. Um, mm-hmm. the other one that is coming out every week that is delightful is Freakonomics radio, uh, hosted by a guy named Steven Dubner. And it, it plays off the book of the same title Freakonomics, which I love that book that came out, gosh, probably 20 years ago now. And they've just done that podcast for ever in a day. And it's always really, really good. It's stuff. The name is Freakonomics, but I don't want you to think that it's an economic podcast. Sometimes they talk about economics or policy or things like that. But there were there was one time, for example, they interviewed um, a lady who's trying to shake up the funeral industry and, you know, asking questions like, well, why do we spend ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to put our carcass in the dirt in a lead lined <laughs> vault and, you know, so on and so forth? Like, why? why don't we do this instead? Or why don't we do that? And so there's both really good kind of podcasts that get you thinking uh, about things that you're probably not thinking about otherwise. So here's the thing. I I'm not a big podcast guy. I really don't listen to a bunch. However, uh, I remembered this one like incident on Conan O'Brien's podcast, which is like one of the most popular podcasts, I guess in the world. Like it's, it's big time stuff. It's called Conan O'Brien needs a friend. And I've listened to a few episodes and I think they're pretty funny because I'm a huge fan of Conan O'Brien. But there was one moment in a recent episode, uh, recent-ish episode, I guess, where he had Paul Rudd on. And I don't know if if people know this, but Paul Rudd had an ongoing joke with Conan O'Brien that like every time he would go on to the show, he'd say he'd have a clip of you know whatever movie he was promoting or whatever and it was always the same clip from uh, the 80s movie mac and me <laughs> where where a kid in a wheelchair like tumbles over a cliff oh and then it lands into a, a like a, a ravine like oh. a water-filled ravine and then this like horrible puppet alien pops up and goes oh no <laughs> uh, and he would show this clip Every time he went on Conan O'Brien's show, including like the last episode of Conan O'Brien's show. Uh, and so, and it was always, you know, he, and he would always play it up like, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I know I've joked around before, but now, you know, I actually was able to bring in something that you don't <laughs> you. And so he would always, you know, do this whole bit and he would occasionally fool Conan uh, <laughs> and thinking that he was sincere. But once Conan's television show in, uh, ended, uh, you know, it was, I guess, Conan O'Brien figured that the whole bit was done. Yeah. Uh, Paul Rudd went on his podcast. And of course, this is, you know, an internet broadcast. This is not, you know, there's no video 
right that they broadcast although there is video of them doing it but it's like it's not something there's no studio audience there's no graphics there's no yeah it's just behind the scenes video kind of deal yeah yeah they don't they don't pull up a screen or anything like that and so paul rudd uh spends literally 15 minutes talking about this new um play that he like co-wrote and is gonna do with a a, like william h macy or something like that i don't know he goes into this elaborate incredibly elaborate you know depiction description of of what this play is about and who's in it and what his role is and then he says you know we have a we have some audio from the table read that we did would you like to hear it and conan says of course that sounds great and then he plays audio from the clip from mac and me (laughs) of the kid (laughs) and the entire time conan's like you can't do that that's not how that works you can't do it it does not work over a podcast and he's like complaining the entire time because he was utterly fooled and it's it's hilarious so i recommend people check that out conan o'brien i think is is just really one of the true comedic geniuses of the past like 50 years he's he's really been a huge influence on me i think as a writer and and just my sensibilities as uh, in terms of humor just in general but that clip just killed me uh well, all right so you you and i have a shared love for the early seasons of the simpsons and oh, so of like course, hearing yeah. hearing him talk about you know it being in the room and writing some of those i always find really interesting like when he would have hank azaria on the show or he would mm-hmm. have you know any any of the great longtime voice artists on that show to, i always enjoyed those interviews because you know he could talk about his experience in the room uh as well it was always incredible yeah no he's he's pretty great and that sequence i think just is an example of why um all right so this is from alvin who wants to know if you had to choose another like let's say you're a journalist you're a beat writer if you had to choose another sports team to follow which one would it be and it doesn't have to be another collegiate team it could be any team yeah no i mean i would say the 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 one and i talk about this on the show quite a bit would be would be the pittsburgh steelers and that's just because the stunning mrs vance i suppose if it was another college team you know she's really into west virginia because she's a a west virginia girl so maybe um i've i've shared this once or twice before the other school that i actually uh, applied to 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 attend instead of ohio state was the university of southern california and so there's a part of me that's like you know in a in in a doctor strange ulti alternate timeline you know here somewhere in the multiverse uh andy is a huge fan of usc and and monaco monaco's got a a a professional soccer team that's all i'm saying you know what i'm saying like that like there are a couple routes you can go here you can go the entertainment factor and for me that would be the cleveland browns because that the entire franchise i couldn't do it i couldn't do it oh i well because i'm not a fan of the cleveland browns so i would have the ultimate you know detachment the I, i i would not be invested whatsoever in their success and i could just enjoy the ridiculousness around it um however if i'm also going to be covering a team and then living in relative approximation right to where they exist i I mean paris saint germain saint Saint germain whatever you pronounce it in french uh you know like what like manchester united man city i feel like there are a lot of really nice options uh, around the world where you could be so like, many oh, good yeah, epl yeah so many good epl teams you could be well yeah. whether whether or not they Barca, or i not, mean but come on like i'm gonna live in spain and then travel around europe and go to all the fanciest but yeah i think that would be i would be okay with that that would be fine It'd that be would a, be fine for me be a, be, be a groupie or whatever the uh sports equivalent of of being a group well no I'm a, I'm a i'm a professional journalist andy i'm i'm 
I'm like I'm a like pro. That. That's good. Yeah, um, I, guess that, I guess that was the context of the question, wasn't it? Yeah, good call. Yeah, good call. In theory. <laughs> um, all right. So this one's from Roger. Do you know if the Buckeyes football games are going to get the full season of broadcast live from the other stations now that ABC slash ESPN does not have the Big Ten under contract? I I would assume that if it's an Ohio State game, it is going to be broadcasted on some. You're not going to get it on a network television every week, but it's going to be broadcast in some way, in some form every week. I, I would not worry about that. Um, and that's yeah. going to be all part and parcel of the, the, you know, the contracts and the deals that they finalize here. Yeah, totally agree. I, I think there are a lot of questions yet to be answered about this new rights deal. Uh, but will I be able to see the Buckeyes play is not one of them. Uh, not, yeah. not one that I have. Um, I agree. I, I, you know what though, here's one thing I'm worried about. I work on uh, alternate Saturdays. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be missing some like games live. It's going to stink. So I'm going to have to like shut it down and then do the DVR thing and then come back. And it's going to be brutal for yeah, some of these. So that's gonna I'm be not hard. super pumped about that. Uh, all right. This is from Matt and Charlotte. Uh, just returned from the vacation. The one place I know in my head I should hate, but in my heart, I just somehow enjoy the state up north. Um, so this is actually a second trip up north in the last three years. But from Charlotte, uh, it's kind of nice to escape the heat and humidity. He basically wants to know, uh, have we been there on vacation? Uh, is there any moral <laughs> reason to do it? Or, or is there any cons beside the moral argument? Uh, and is there anything special about Mackinac Island besides the fudge? Um, <laughs> so I, I will say we have done a couple of dog shows in Michigan each year, yeah. you know, pretty much every year since we've been doing it. There are some, you know, some good shows up there that we like. Um, but that is not the same as like vacationing there. So I, I have not done uh, any kind of vacation there or spent any kind of really appreciable time, honestly, anywhere. And it, and it's not, you know, it's, I would say Woody Hayes says you shouldn't, you shouldn't spend any of your money there. You know, the, 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 the story about pushing the car across the state line, yeah, right. and need me to get gas. Like, uh, it's not even that, like, I've not said, oh, we're not vacationing in. There's just never been, I guess, a, a moment where either of us have said, you know, where we should go. Uh, it's just not, it's not come up. So I, I gotta tell you though. I got to tell you, man. So I, my, my wife and I have done a couple trips to Michigan. We first one, we were in uh, Muskegon. Not great. Don't recommend. Uh, however, the second one, we went to uh, Frankfurt, Michigan, which is close to Traverse city. And I, that was a fantastic time. That was really great. I mean, the Lake Michigan by the, I mean, by itself, I think it's just beautiful. Uh, it is incredible how clean and, and blue and everything it is. Um, so if you can stay anywhere, you know, I think on the, the shores of Lake Michigan, that's always a good time. Um, but they had like, you know, a really nice beach. You go out to a pier where there's a lighthouse. We did some horseback riding in the area. We went to Sleeping Bear Dunes, which is just a few miles to the north. Went up that and walked around. That was incredible. Um, and then there's like little towns with all kinds of, you know, you know, like little town charm and, and restaurants and whatnot i i highly recommend uh that area uh the frankfurt area it's it's a northern the northern mitten you know the northwestern part of the mitten but um you know a lot of people are like all about traverse city but i i had a great time in frankfurt so i i don't know man i i think the 
I, I wish I wish Lake Erie was a little bit more substantial and a little less polluted because going to Lake Michigan, I'm like, oh my God, this is this is pretty great. So yeah, I endorse it. I, I think it's a good time. Um, and I recommend people check it out if if they get the chance, if they want a, a nice vacation within close proximity. By the way, Andy, uh Matt heard your uh, dollar bucks and says that I hope you're enjoying season three as much as we are. We are absolutely in in fact uh probably busted out two, maybe three episodes um <laughs> right before I came in to record this week's episode of the dubcast. Nice. I just I I think you know for if you haven't, um, friends, heard me rave about Bluey, the, the children's television program Bluey, uh, before, go to Disney Plus and and just watch it. Just start with season one and just just binge watch. They're seven minute vignettes in essence uh, about a family of Australian uh, blue blue and red healer dogs. So they're anthropomorphic dogs, uh, mom and dad and their two daughters. And number one, they're hilarious. Number two, like the the life lessons you know it's one of these they've done a fantastic job with their australian humor of making it something that my nine-year-old daughter loves and that i also find hilarious there's humor that that works for adults and kids but the little life lessons like and some of them are life lessons i think almost for as much for us adults as they are for the kids the most recent one i was watching uh grandpa healer came over and wanted to play with the kids and the kids were playing restaurant but everything was done via app you know and grandpa doesn't have a phone grandpa doesn't know what an app is and it's you mm-hmm. know kind of it, and part of it's kind of comical because the kids are like oh granddad you know because he doesn't know what an app is or how to use a phone or any of that sort of thing but it, you know it kind of as it goes by you get the sense because they have it set up that you know he's staying at a at an airbnb they don't call it airbnb but he's staying at an airbnb that he had to you know, rent and pay for via his app. And he, he, he tries to go to the restaurant. Oh, grandpa, you don't go to the restaurant. You, you know, you, you order on your app. So he orders on his, you know, you have to order on the phone, they say. So he tries to call, tries to call the restaurant. Well, you can't call. You just have to order on your app. Well, I don't even have the menu. Where's the menu. Oh, it's on the app. And so everything. And so finally then, you know, they deliver the food to him and their little you know, kid restaurant game. And he's like, so I just sit here by myself and eat, <laughs> you know, and, and they're like, yeah, that's it. And it's a nice little social commentary on how we have really devolved, I think, as a society um, through the use of technology that we don't, you know, like go out and do things outside or with people or whatnot. We just, you know, stay home and do everything via app. And so it's like the kids, I don't know that the nine-year-old watching that picks up on that. She just thinks the whole thing's really hilarious, but I'm watching like, yeah, you know, grandpa healer here's right on right on he's got a point you know man yells at cloud i know but it's (laughs) so it's a great show i absolutely love it so yes have absolutely been enjoying you know we're a dozen or so episodes into season three and i hope bluey's on forever it's just amazing nice all right Uh, last one here from nelson uh nelson broadway and nelson wants to know what past powerhouse football school will make a comeback thinking of schools like miami florida florida state maybe florida Texas, USC, Michigan. What do you think? It's absolutely not Miami. Ohio State broke Miami. Uh, yeah, Miami's dead. They're not coming it's, back. It's, it's, no, it's not. It's not. That happening. was and really and not just because you know it's fun to to talk about and to say. I I just it's it's like Nebraska. There were some inherent I think issues. And granted, you're in Florida where you've got a ton of 
talent and all that stuff. I just think the competition is too fierce. And for me, Miami was one of those like lightning in a bottle things where they had a whole attitude and a certain, you know, administrative push behind it and good coaches and all that. I don't think that they're going to get those things all in a row anytime soon. I think it's going to be a lot more. I think it's going to be less difficult for a Florida state or a Florida to do that than for Miami right now, I guess would be my point with that. So yes, I agree with that. Miami, I would say is not in the cards. Yeah. It's not going to be Miami. I mean, I would, I would probably be most inclined to say USC. Uh, I think the addition of USC to the big 10 benefits USC quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it ups their, their profile. Um, you know, this new media rights deal <laughs> we were just talking about a little bit ago is, is a boon for them. Uh, the fact that they're going to be playing teams like Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, et cetera, at least some, you know, now maybe that's that they become the new Wisconsin and just run rush out over the West. I, I don't know who knows how that the division shake out and all that sort of thing. But that to me is the program that of the ones that were listed, that is most likely to make a comeback. I think the additional resources they will put to good use. Um, I, I feel like that's a program that could be great again. Yeah, I agree. I think I would say USC is the one just because they've got a lot of inherent advantages in a lot yes. of ways that some of the other places don't. And and again, it's not just about talent. I mean, Texas and, and schools in Florida have a lot of you know talent to draw from, but I also think it's it's just the setup and the competition and all that kind of stuff. Well, and Texas is a good cautionary tale for USC, right? Because Texas has more right. money than God. They have access to one of the most fertile recruiting states uh, in the history of man. Right. And yet they managed to continually screw it up, partly because of, you know, inept management and yeah. and, and, and a terrible booster. Right. The um, influence of their boosters. Yeah. A terrible booster and coaching and, and administrative relationship like that, that all of that is super toxic. And it's just leading to not good things for a school that should be much better at football. And, and USC, you know, so they've not had a great decade in terms of their uh, management. So that's why I say a good cautionary tale for USC is, Hey, don't, don't, don't do all the dumb things. Texas has done. Hopefully, you know, for them, uh, in, in the context of this scenario question, they kind of write the ship here and they're making some good moves now and, and Hey, they're, you know, ranked in the top 15 preseason. So maybe, maybe, maybe they will, maybe they will be back. Yeah, we'll see. All right. So that's ask us anything. Thank you for sending those in. Those are excellent questions this week. We definitely appreciate them and uh, we'll keep answering them. Yeah, great questions for sure. As we as we win down the final days of the off season, let's uh, let's finish up with with this one a little uh, little buckshot action. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, about a fun little uh, Twitter. Oh, uh, beef is not the right word because it was absolutely done in fun and, and not with any animus, but Ohio State's football and basketball team jawing back and forth on social media. Uh, it started when Ohio State football players contended that they, they the best five uh, players on their team could take Ohio State's best five basketball players in a game mm-hmm. of shooty hoops. And we kind of got a kick out of that. And that was fun and nice little offseason fodder. Well, there was a feud between another football and basketball program in the region last week the university of kentucky football and basketball programs had a real feud on social media and (laughs) and in real time kind of fomented because 
Coach John Calipari of the basketball team uh, was not too happy that his uh, program hasn't gotten a new practice facility. He said, and I quote, this is a basketball school. Alabama's a football school. So is Georgia. No disrespect to our football team. By the way, that means what you're about to say is disrespectful. (laughs) I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls, but this is a basketball school. Mark Stoops, coach of the Kentucky football team picked up the gauntlet on ye old Twitter and said, basketball school. I thought we competed in the sec four straight postseason wins. And it kind of went downhill from there. One, uh, are you surprised that you had two multi-million dollar head, uh, head coaches at the same school bickering like school children on social media for God and everybody to see, uh, and, and two, who's right here. Well, I mean, it's not surprising because, you know, these are two petty men who will be petty. <laughs> so I'm not shocked by that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Kentucky basketball in Kentucky, I don't care how bad Kentucky basketball is or how they are in comparison to Kentucky football. There's no comparison. Kentucky basketball rules that state, and there is no comparison. It is the end all be all of, of sporting, you know, events in that state outside of like the Derby. It, it is, it is it. And, uh, you know, my grandma, like she's native Kentucky and she was never like super into sports besides the reds. But like the minute somebody said like college basketball here is perked up. She's like, how, how, how the Wildcats doing? Because that's all she cared about. Um, and I, yeah, I, <laughs> that's a jump. Uh, that's a Trump card, no matter you know, what the conversation is. It's always going to be Kentucky basketball. Well, and unfortunately for Coach Cal, Athletic Director Mitch Barnhart stepped in and said the Wildcats are not building a new basketball practice facility anytime yep. soon. Sorry. And Cal and Stoops need to hug it out and so so on and so forth. Uh, he went so far, Barnhart, the AD, that is to say, the grown-ups are going to have to figure it out, be a little better. You know, I think if I'm a head coach and the ad says you know the grown-ups are going to have to be a little better uh maybe i'm maybe i'm a little embarrassed by my behavior but uh yeah good times it's nice to nice to be able to laugh at other programs when i you agree have that kind of uh infighting and bickering at your own so that's where we're going to leave it another great episode my friend and the uh football season is almost here. We'll be back next week with a little bit more preview action as September 3rd draws very, very close. Ohio State versus Notre Dame. Get this party started right. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.